Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Nyler 9 podcast. It is the podcast all about music and deep dives into albums we love, music we love, things that we are interested in in the field of recorded music. Of course, it is myself, uh, Nyler 9, and Andrea Cleary is here, of course. How are you, Andrea? I'm good, Niall. How are you? Good, thank you, thank you. So this episode is a deep dive special into an album we are going to be presenting as part of our Listen Closely series in The Big Romance. So if you've not been to The Big Romance or you have, you will uh, maybe you've even heard about Toby Hatchett's sound system, the lovely warm vinyl analogue system that is there in the back room on Parnell Street in Dublin. And uh, Listen Closely, uh, this will be our, fourth. is it our fourth one? It is our fourth Listen Closely series in conjunction with the big romance myself and Andrea present a series of listening parties featuring a focus album from an artist we love or an album we love on the last Wednesday of every month so the next one is February 28th Wednesday 20 February 28th at the big romance and that album is Andrea Laurie Anderson's Big Science that's 1982's album Big Science by Laurie Anderson. It is Andrea's choice. We, we're going to talk about why we're going to play this album in full mm. and give a bit of a spotlight on it. I've only listened to this album once so far, so I will have very little to say about it. But I am familiar with, you know, the big hit from this song, uh, album is Oh Superman. As in, and it's a, it's not a hit is probably the wrong word. It's uh it's not really a pop song. It's it's a quite avant-garde, weird track, but it got quite popular as well. But we're going to delve a bit more into what happens around this album, where Laurie Anderson arrives at Big Science and, and how it makes sense. So, mm-hmm. Andre, you picked this one. So, I mean, let's talk about the, the basics about why we, for the Listen Closely series so far, we've done 
Last month, we did Mad Villain, Mad Villainy. We did Fortet Rounds in December. Sufjan, Stevens, Illinois. That was uh, 2003, 2004, 2005. We've gone back to 1982, the mm-hmm. year of my birth here. Ah. So what is it about this album in as an introduction? You, Why did you pick this one? So I chose this one. I mean, we can we, we can tell from the artists that we've done so far. We have focused on three men so far, not by design or anything. We do have a kind of a, a, a balance in this, but it just worked out that thematically these three men came first. So as our first woman, as part of the Listen Closely series, I'm really happy that it's Laurie Anderson who... I think, I mean, I, I I chose this album, number one, because I think um, it is a, a pioneering work. I think it is a modern classic album. I think it's an album that not many people can find a lot of time to dedicate to sitting down and actually listening to. So I think the the environment of the Listen Closely sessions would be really quite ideal to experience this album. It's not an album I've personally experienced uh, collectively with other people. These aren't songs that you hear on a night out or anything like that. So I think that sort of communal dynamic to it will will be really, really interesting because it is actually an album that when listened to while you're isolated or in, in, in your headphones can really bring up a lot of emotion and feeling. And I think that that will be a really interesting thing to kind of happen in the room with other people, especially if you are, as I really suggest you do, bringing along somebody who hasn't heard this record. I'd be really interested to know what that experience is like for a first timer. And it is, as I said, a a modern classic. Laurie Anderson is a pioneer of, you know, not just music and music technology, but within performance art spaces, within film, within composition more broadly. She is an inventor, a musician, a film director, an artist, a sculptor, a composer. <laughs> hey, uh, she's, you know, she said that she 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 used to um refer to herself as a multimedia artist, but then she she found that term a bit clunky or or not a, a, a not very elegant term to describe what it is that she's trying to do. So she she describes mm. herself now as a storyteller. And whatever medium that story kind of calls for is the one that she that she reaches for. So Laurie Anderson, she is a master of, you know, bringing these seemingly like disparate aesthetic elements of different medias together in her installations, in her practices She's experimented with, you know, tape loops and recording technologies, synthesizers, vocoders and sampling technology in the 1970s and the 1980s. She was never really bound by one form of media and engages very much with themes around like mass media culture um, and questions about the distinction between high and low culture, high and low art. And you get the impression that she is using whatever is available to her at the time throughout her career. So she she has lived kind of multiple lives as multiple artists, but it all kind of comes together to form one oeuvre, to form one kind of artistic life. And for 1982's Big Science, the medium was music. So, you know, it's her first, it's kind of, it's considered to be her her, her debut album although that is complicated by by various works that she's uh, various musical works that she's engaged with in, in the past but in terms of the recording industry this is considered her her first album so 
I mean, to go back earlier in her life as a child, she was trained in the violin. But around the age of 16, she started to pursue other interests. She she um, wanted to be a writer. Something that she enjoyed doing as a child was climbing a tree and observing the world from a different angle and, and trying to write stories uh, while she's up there. And she actually in, quite enjoyed climbing trees as an adult as well. And she began kind of writing and working in, in other mediums, in painting and art and sculptures. And she says she she chose not to play, meaning the, the violin. It's one of the few things in my life that I'm proud of, that I actually had the foresight to know that I didn't want to do that. So she was a very creative child. She was a very, I think, um, ambitious child. I was reading this story about her running for class president, I think, in in, in high school and she she wrote to John F. Kennedy to ask him for advice <laughs> on how she should run her campaign. And and he, uh, either him or his campaign responded to her. She won the class presidency and then she she wrote back to him to to, to let her to let him know that she had won the class presidency. And he sent her back a card that said congratulations and I think a dozen roses or something. And it was in her local newspaper. You can see the the headline. I, I, I found like a picture of the headline. It was like local girl gets letter from president or something like that. So so she's, you know, very ambitious, like the things like like boundaries. They, they don't seem to be things that kind of occur to her. If, if, if she wants advice about how to win class presidency, then who better to ask than the president himself, you know? And I mean, generally, there was this profile of, of, of Anderson written by a writer called A.M. Holmes, which was really good, uh, in which he called her a, a cultural historian, an explorer of ideas, big and small. And I think that that's a really good way to to describe her. She's so much more than an artist. She's so much more than, than a musician. You know, she's she she is truly avant garde. She's truly innovative and and pioneering in 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 what it is that she that she did. So I'm not going to focus too much on on kind of her biography in in this episode. I know in the past I have, but I think there's so many different strands to Laurie that it's very difficult to go chronologically through her life. And I think like for me, my background with this album is I host slash hosted, it may return at some stage, a different podcast called My Favourite Album. And I invited friend of the show, DJ Claire Beck onto that podcast. And she chose as her favourite album, Big Science by Laurie Anderson. And I had never heard this album before. It was very much my first experience with Laurie. I'd never even heard Oh Superman. So I came into it completely fresh. And so that's so that's my background with this album. It is, you know, relatively new to me. I mean, I think we 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 recorded that episode. It was during, you know, the the COVID times, but I think maybe 2021-ish. We recorded that conversation and and I went back and listened to it today and and I, I and and I found that a, a lot of the notes I was making for today or a lot of the themes that I wanted to talk about today were very present in that conversation with Claire around Mm. anxieties around technology and technology as a mother figure and and femininity and technology like they were these were ideas that were kind of percolating in my mind and they've had you know three to four years of 
of repeated listening and and reading and and you know just un- just understanding and i think that i'm i'm i wouldn't say i'm close to understanding this record but i my my opinions and my thoughts about it are a bit further on than they were but also you know i think the immediacy of the record is the important thing so i mean yeah i i guess before jumping into it like your you you listened to it for the first time in full very recently. Like how how did that this go week, for you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never heard it before uh, in full. It was one of those albums that I'd heard of. I know Oh Superman as a song. I actually, what you mentioned that I do know a a kind of a DJ edit version of Oh Superman, which mixes it with uh, one of my favorite Atala songs. Actually, it is it does have some pedigree for a dance floor, uh, surprisingly, but. It, mm. In a way, maybe not that surprising because it's the kind of song that is an avant-garde kind of funny, like it's got a life of its own beyond this album, I think as well. It was quite influential. It sounds, even now, it sounds really like future-facing and Mm. forward-facing and very present and very like, it's such a cool track. It's such a different kind of song. But other than that, I hadn't really known anything else about this album and... uh, yeah, I was excited and I was surprised actually. I think I thought it was more this is an electronic kind of early electronic kind of classic kind of weird album and it's definitely more varied than that. It's got a lot more going on uh, musically for a song I was especially surprised by because I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, there's lots it's it's very much I think the background really helps when you when you read about it afterwards and like it coming from the the art piece and the multimedia background and all that kind of stuff and Mm. how it like has obviously informed this music Mm -hmm. and it feels like this cool weird soundtrack to a kind of an art gallery piece you know so Mm. like it is that multimedia performance piece so that's all I really knew about it but yeah super super interesting album and very well produced, very interesting Mm. uh, production throughout. Yeah so I mean so to talk about this album big science we we first have to talk about united states one to four which is anderson's seven hour multimedia performance that used some some work from earlier performances it combined film photography drawings projections and music in four different parts transportation politics money and love and this this piece has been released as a as an album it is available as as an album. It was first performed in 1983 at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and she toured with it in London and Zurich as well. And one critic, Rosalie Goldberg, praised it as being both highly inventive and highly accessible to mainstream audiences. She says she crosses from avant-garde obscurity into the so-called mainstream without compromising her ideas or aesthetic integrity and that this would ensure the performance's continued significance in the annals of art history. So we're talking kind of more, more than just music history, more than just music technology history. It's, it, it, it is the history of art that we're talking about here. And art, art and the art world is something that is very much part of Anderson's own kind of personal history. She studied art history in New York and then she studied visual arts for a year where she started experimenting with painting and sculpting. 
And then in the early 70s, she graduated and started teaching art and working as an art critic for various magazines and an illustrator for children's books. But the thing she really wanted to do was was to sculpt. But also around this time, she invented a self-playing violin using magnetic tape loops and magnetic tape instead of like horse, the horse hair on a bow. It's not something that I have a full understanding of, but it allowed her to use the violin in her work in in ways that were much more easier for her to kind of manipulate. And she performed her first major performance art piece called Duets on Ice, in which she is wearing a pair of ice skates that are frozen in a block of ice while playing the violin. And the piece ends when the block of ice melts. So the violin, even though she sort of abandoned, you know, classical styles of playing the violin when she was young, when she was around 16, the violin would remain something that is very, very important to her. And the violin is on this record and it would become important to to how she experimented with and kind of pioneered new music technology. It was very much her way into music. And so I think that, you know, with with this album, you're always going to bring to it your own personal sort of anxieties. This is an album about technology, I think, on its on its face. But the so there's the a feminist musicologist called Susan McClary. She's, you know, pi- pioneering feminist musicology. She's fantastic. And she wrote about Laurie Anderson at a, at a time when people weren't when people in the musicological academy were not engaging with her work. And she says that her work always involves several discourses all operating simultaneously, all interconnected and unpredictable sometimes uh, and in sometimes contradictory ways. And she goes on to talk about how the academic musicians who know how to talk about music have little interest in Anderson's work. So you had the art world who very much embraced Laurie Anderson and very much saw her as a pioneer, but in the musical world, not not, you know, popular music discourse or rock discourse, but in the actual, you know, academy of musicologists, there was very little engagement with her work. And, you know, uh, McLarry's idea, and and, and I think I, I, I agree, is, is that because Laurie Anderson is doing something so different with her music that it is, we, we need to find new questions to ask within the academy about what it is that she's doing and what it is that she's implying with her work how it is that she's working tonally, what she's doing with playing within the Western canon and trying to deconstruct it. So, so that, I mean, that, that Susan McClary piece, you can find it. It's really, really interesting for, for, for anyone particularly who has knowledge, much more knowledge than I do <laughs> of kind of Western tonality mm. and Western art music and how she is a, how she's a pioneer within that. So I'd, I, I would recommend reading that. But when when people do talk about Laurie Anderson, it is often and, and about this album in particular, it's often talked about in a kind of a man versus machine dichotomy. And I think that this can be a problem because I think that it ignores the presence of machines on the album in itself. You know, there's de- there's a definite anxiety there about humanity and, and and machine, but it is not, it shouldn't go without comment that Laurie Anderson 
is not a man it, and this and this is a an, an album it is a collaboration between a woman and machines and i think that this is what makes this album so interesting for the time that it came out and one of the reasons why i wanted to choose it was was because of its importance in understanding the history of technology as being written as a male pursuit and as something that men have conquered when in actuality we know now that many of the early pioneers of technology and music technology were in fact women so i think you know all all of these questions and all of these all of these discourses and ideas are all kind of wrapped up in this in in this album and it's wonderful and so i mean she says anderson herself says it's true that there's a lot of alienation in songs like big science and oh superman all of my work that deals with machines and how they talk and think and think is inherently critical but I think many people have missed an important fact. These songs themselves are made up of digital bits. My work is expressed through technology. A lot of it depends on 15 million watts of power. So I think now is probably a good time to actually hear what the album sounds like. So I guess there's no better place to start than at the beginning, the opening of From the Air, where, where we first hear her voice and the manipulation of her voice and this, you know, relatively benevolent but kind, all-knowing narrator that is very present throughout the whole album. So, so yeah, here's the opening of From the Air, the first track on Big Science. you know what, what what a wonderful way to open this record it, it, it like it really defies expectations when you when you hear that opening that instrumental opening you're really not sure what direction this is going to go in and then this voice appears this very um this authoritative slightly mechanical voice kind of appears but but very identifiable as a female voice, if not a human voice. So there's a kind of a femininity technology, you know, relationship happening here that that, that I think is really um, that I think is really really interesting. And it's also like there's there's kind of humor in this album as well, and I think you can definitely hear it and and fr- from the air, you know, I think that that is a song that deals with absurdity, the absurdity of, of, you know, apocalypse, the absurdity of, of being, you know, you would assume on a plane, ha- having the captain telling you to 
put your head in your knees, put your hands in your head, put your hands in your hips. It's this kind of Simon Says thing. And, and, it's, and it's kind of questioning and complicating our relationship with authority. Like why, why, why do we do the things that authority figures tell us to do? And it is because we believe that they will keep us safe and that they have our best interests at heart. And she is kind of absurdly kind of picking these ideas apart. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that question of like complicity in authoritarian structures or regimes or, you know, our fear of surveillance, there's, there's a part late, later on in, in that track where the, the narrator or the voice is saying, I've got eyes in the back of my head, which is a kind of a, you know, a panopticon sort of image of constant surveillance that is you know, was, was was definitely part of the the cultural conversation of the time in the early 1980s, but we can really, really, we can really understand it more greatly as time goes on. This, like, in 2024, this voice feels, I, I think, more familiar than ever, you know? Yeah, very current. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's there's a moment on 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 big science as well when this voice that sort of seems to exist above us in 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 time and space instructs us instructs us to um actually we might just play it hopefully we'll get to the part but if we play big science maybe jump in jump in a little bit You can kind of hear the absurdity there, you know, turn right where they're going to build that big shopping mall. There's a moment later where the voice is saying, I think we should put some mountains here. Otherwise, what are the characters going to fall off of? Mm. And there is also lyrics in the song, this juxtaposition and this critique, I think, of like um, uh, the idea of American individualism, where the voice is saying every man for himself, all in favor, say I. And that juxtaposition is in itself absurd and, and, and ridiculous. And yet there is like, you know, such a such a great truth in in that as as an American ideal. And I love that song. I love I love big science. I think a lot of the absurdity in it comes from the, you know, Anderson kind of embodying this very detached character of a machine observing humans or or, or planning the world for humans. It's there's something like really benevolent, but also kind of beautiful and 
And I think, mm. you know, I, I, I always return to this idea of this album being a commentary on our relationship or one of the commentaries being our relationship between femininity and particularly motherhood and technology. And I think that the, you know, we, we obviously have to get to a Superman. <laughs> what, what better time than yeah. now? But I mean, we can hear it alluded to on Oh Superman, where we hear this unknowable machine claim in its message. So, I mean, the setup for Oh Superman is this is, you know, an answering machine message being left for you for 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 somebody by this kind of mechanical voice and this mechanical voice says in its message this is your mother are you there so yeah maybe we'll listen to a little bit of oh superman Superman is a how long is it? Da, 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 eight minutes twenty five. Eight and a half minutes. Eight and a half minutes, and you know it, it. It opens with oh Superman, oh Judge, oh Mom and Dad, and I think you know there's there's a lot of ways you can interpret those ideas. Like I mean, Superman being part of the very kind of mainstream Amer like uh, being a mainstream American icon or idol, but also being something heroic, something that, you know, has the capacity to save you. And so is, you know, the judge, whether that's God or whether that's, you know, the American legal system or, 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 or something else. And then mom and dad, you know, also being these kind of, you know, these, these, these American figures, this part of this kind of idealized American family, but also signifying safety and when you start complicating the relationship between a person and their mom and dad by bringing technology into it i think it can get really really interesting Mar margaret atwood wrote a, a piece in the guardian about hearing a superman for the first time on the radio sorry the piece isn't about that but she 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 mentions it and she says what i just heard wasn't funny this is your mother says a chirpy midwestern voice on an answering machine are you coming home but it isn't your mother. It's the hand, the hand that takes. It's a construct. It's something out of a sci-fi movie, such as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It looks human, but it's not human, which is both creepy and sinister. Worse, it's your only hope. Mom and dad and God and justice and force having, pr having proved lacking. That piece in The Guardian is 
is really, really fascinating. She kind of talks about, you know, gaining a lot of confidence through listening to Laurie Anderson's music, even while she was writing The Handmaid's Tale. She's like a really, you know, massive fan of hers. And I I think the pair of them became mm-hmm. friends kind of later in life as well. And there is a picture of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think right to go back into academia again for a second sorry it's who I am um Susan McClary who I mentioned earlier she says don't ever change (laughs) she says about um about Anderson she says when Anderson involves herself with electronics she confuses habits of thought grounded in gender difference for it is supposed to be man who gives birth to and tames the machine and the idea is that you know yet here is Laurie Anderson you know collaborating and inventing but also fearing and loving these machines. And I think that the relationship between woman and machine is, is very different to what we can't come to understand as a relationship between man and machine. In Anderson's work, I think it's complicated with this kind of tactile, circular, maternal relationship. Woman and machine are, are, are both in themselves kind of in opposition to man as well, you know, man versus machine, but also woman kind of stands outside of man as being something that is differentiated by gender, differentiated by sex. And so, you know, we have constructed it as, as being an opposition. So woman and machine therefore kind of make for a strange kind of allyship. I I think on, 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 on this album, a kind of a collaboration and not in opposition to man necessarily. I mean, I don't even feel a lot of I I don't feel that the work is 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 addressing men directly in this at all. It's it's almost like the relationship between man and machine doesn't exist. That that this is something more primal or more natural and therefore scarier, you know. And the mom in Oh Superman is kind of literally reconstructed in the song as a machine you know later on in the song where it kind of turns a bit you know simultaneously more beautiful in terms of the music that you're hearing but also more more frightening in terms of the lyrics that you're hearing the lyrics say so hold me mom hold me in your long arms in your automatic arms in your electronic arms your petrochemical arms your military arms and obviously military arms being a play on words, but that, you know, I, I think here you get a really interesting sense of masculinity and technology being one and the same thing, the, the, that the eventual, the logical ending to a relationship between people and machines is the military and that's kind of always where we end up. We always end up using technology to find ways to destroy one another. And I think, I don't know, I feel like on this album, there's the, it's, not, it's not necessarily like a manifesto for something different. It's just, it deals in eventualities and foregone conclusions, I, I, I think. And like, I think that gender is a really interesting way to kind of to look at this, like even when she was performing United States one to four, she took on this very like androgynous styling on stage on, on the cover of this album. She's got, you know, short cropped hair. She's wearing, you know, bright white sunglasses. Her, her gender is, isn't being performed or constructed in any kind of very obvious way. And she didn't, while on stage, you know, kind of perform in a very traditional sense. Like we don't get a sense of her 
emotional involvement with the music. She's not dancing necessarily, although there, there, there is sometimes movement. She's not necessarily showing us that she's having a good time or a bad time. She is, you know, at one with the performance. She is kind of an instrument. Her body is an instrument. Her voice is an instrument. And, and it's and it is in collaboration with the technology that she has on stage with her. And she says about her performances, she says, I wear audio masks in my work, meaning electronically I can be this shoe salesman or this demented cop or some other character. And I do that to avoid the expectations of what it means to be a woman on stage. And I, I think I think that quote is really interesting that she wants to defy expectations of what it is to be a woman on stage. And she does that by wearing masks and by manipulating her voice and playing characters. And some of these characters are male and some of these characters are female, but she is not, it is not the Laurie Anderson show. She's kind of acting more, more like an actor in a, in a one woman play or a one person play, as opposed to, come along to the Laurie Anderson concert and hear the big hits. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when, when I was talking to Claire Beck about this album on the podcast, she was saying that L- Laurie was supposed to come and do a show here before COVID happened. And I was like, oh my God, what do you think it was going to be? And she was like, look, I don't think it was going to be the hits. I don't think we were all going to go and hear Oh Superman and sing along. Mm. It's, it's more of like whatever it is that she's experiencing at the time and you know yeah i'm just looking here now what it said it was a residency uh, national concert hall mm. the language of the future uh, ongoing project from her three three concerts and she loves you know kind of these you know very a- avant-garde projects i suppose she, you, you'd call them she was an artist in residence at nasa for a while they they like they they decided they wanted an artist in residence at NASA. And obviously they were like, Laurie Anderson should be it. And so she went and she wasn't sure what she was going to do. And she didn't really know what that meant. And so she ended up writing a piece about the moon. I can't remember what it was called. It's called it was called something like the end of the moon or or so, so something like that. I'll try and find it. But then there was criticism, <laughs> as you can imagine. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a very accessible piece to the public. It was an art piece and they should have known what they were getting when they got Laurie Anderson. But it was thought by the government then that actually extraneous spending on an artist in residence at NASA was not something that they wanted to include in their budget. So they got rid of the position. <laughs> so I think I think she was the first and only artist in residence at NASA. <laughs> play. <laughs> um, just an yeah. insight to that the there's a quote actually about her coming to Dublin and it, it's quite nice being at least quarter Irish and who really knows how much more I've always felt at home in Dublin it's the only city I know where everyone uses the language as an art form mm-hmm. and I mean starting with the taxi driver who picks you up at the airport we begin the language dance the put on the shaggy dog the put upon heaven that's, that's nice so <laughs> beautiful <laughs> oh I think I think I think that's true I mean, I hear people say that about how Irish people speak, that we speak in a kind of a, in a very musical way. It's hard for us to know, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But, uh, cute. And I mean, she also... Nice, nice, gives good quote anyway. Yeah, she does. <laughs> and that's the thing about her. Like, so we're ta- like, I'm, I'm talking about her here as this, you know, this very serious artist dealing with these very serious things. But when you watch interviews with her, 
she's extremely friendly and and forthcoming and she'll answer questions about her work and you know if someone puts an idea to her like is is oh superman about this or is big science about this or is this what you were trying to say she'll really entertain the idea and she's not she doesn't seem to me anyway from the interviews that i've seen very closed off and very you know well i like to let the work speak for itself she she seems to actually want to engage in conversation with people about her work and about the work that she's doing. So she's not, yeah. even though I would be so intimidated if I was to ever meet her, she doesn't at all seem like an intimidating figure. And I, I, I wasn't going to mention this in, in the in, in the podcast, but I was watching just before we we jumped on to start recording. She did a um, she did a series of concerts for dogs. So she she has a has a dog herself, or at least had a dog. I'm not sure if the dog is still with us. Called Lola Bell. And I, I just came across this picture of Lola Bell on a stage beside a laptop with her paw on a on a keyboard performing her first concert exclusively for dogs back in <laughs> back in Performed 2010. Performed to be registered at a frequency that dogs hear best. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of video clips. I'll send you a video clip here and maybe we can play a little bit of it. Just yeah, one yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So this is a video taken in New York. Uh, how old is Oliver? He's about four. He just had his birthday. And this is his first gig? This is his first gig, yes. Yeah, his entree into society. <laughs> earlier than my first gig. What's she doing in this bag? Uh, trying to stay warm. And uh, she's hoping she hears some good sounds tonight. Here in the audience, she can't really hear anything. Um, just a sort of low murmur, but I put my headphones on. Oh, and you can hear that Laurie Anderson's playing the violin. It's all coming through. So perhaps this is what the dogs are hearing, who knows? What kind of music does Clover normally listen to? Normally WQXR or BBC Radio 3. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's sort of classical. Yeah, more classical. I didn't, you know, this is really a dog walking area, Times Square exactly. So I was amazed that so many people actually got their dogs here. Because it's a cold night to walk. If you have a little dog, get him barking, okay? Come on, guys, this is your turn. <laughs> it's such a gorgeous so that, yeah. piece, you know. So for for That's a good one. for listeners, it, it it looks like it's kind of. In the middle of winter, everyone's all wrapped up. The dogs have their little coats on, and people have uh, have been given some some headphones so that they they will hear an approximation of of, of what the dogs are hearing. I, I I believe she's playing at a different frequency that they can hear, and that we can't. I hope so. And <laughs> yeah, they all seem like they're enjoying it. I, I maybe they're enjoying the music. Maybe they're being out on, enjoying being out on walks. Being around other dogs, who knows? But Hello, the dogs. It's a beautiful. All sitting uh, very patiently well, in Times Square. Uh, we should place, say so. every one of them, good boy and good girl to all of them. And of yeah, and then Laurie has her own dog as well, who she, who she loves very much. And so this is the kind of woman that she is, you know, like she is thinking about things in different ways. She's thinking, well, why shouldn't we do a concert for dogs? We love dogs. We spend... A lot of our time with dogs, there are, for many people, our, our companion, our, for some people, their primary companion. Why shouldn't we kind of bring them to hear a concert and why shouldn't we make music for them? So she's she's not this like very 
she doesn't come across as the towering figure that she actually is. You know, she comes across as like quite yeah. a normal artistic woman who is just interested in, in doing things differently. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So I wanted to talk about Walking Falling, which is a short song on this album. Maybe we'll take a listen to it and then we'll have a chat about it. I wanted you. And I was looking for you all day. But I couldn't find you. I couldn't find you. You're walking, and you don't always realize it, but you're always falling. With each step, you fall forward slightly, and then catch yourself. So I've done uh, hypno kind of therapy before. That's very uh, hypnotherapy oh, adjacent really? stuff there. Yeah, people leading you into a uh, an imaginary place mm. in your mind and thinking down at your subconscious. That's very hypnotherapy, mm. therapeutic. Yeah, I love I love walking, falling because again, I think I think there is a, a, a again that absurdity, that kind of that detached character of of a machine like observing humans is is what I take from it. Like there's something about her, her voice observing how walking works, you know, like that, that this is what walking is with each step you fall forward slightly, then you catch yourself from falling over and over. And it makes me think of like maybe an artist or an animator, like first trying to animate a, like w- what it looks like, for a human body to walk and how difficult it can be to make something that we do every day actually look natural when you're animating it or when you're creating it within some kind of computer program without like stepping into the uncanny. Or maybe this machine is trying to, you know, study us so that they might replicate us so, so that it, 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 they, they can kind of reproduce our our movements, you know, digi- digitally or mechanically or and I think, and and I think all of these things can be true at once, or it like it reminds me of a mother or a parent kind of looking 
upon their child doing something like walking, like taking their first steps and seeing it, you know, in this in this completely new way. And I mean, you as a new father, yeah. I'm sure you, you've, you've experienced this looking at the baby, you know, breathing or smiling or just doing things that we all do in our day-to-day lives but it's like you're seeing it for the first time do you know what I mean is that something that like yeah you're it's yeah it's absolutely captivating just watching somebody learn how to exist and Mm. just doing the things that we take for granted yeah um it's it's really special actually it's really and you know especially the milestone stuff it's like yeah I mean he's not even he's not even walking and falling yet but he yeah he is you know, he's holding himself up a tiny bit or he's, you know, but his legs aren't strong enough or, Mm. you know, he's smiling the last couple of weeks, but he hasn't started laughing just yet, Mm. but he is doing the laugh. All those kind of things. It's just like, yeah, the milestones of human endeavor is so interesting. Like it's a real, it's a real reminder every day that, you know, there's there's certainly more important things happening in the world than whatever it is you're doing probably Mm. uh, right then and there without uh, your child. It's really just like absolutely fascinating. You're like, wow. Yeah. It's so elemental and 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 foundational that like you can't help but be impressed by it almost. And you're like, we all did this. And, you know, it's something we've talked about, actually. I know I'm just ranting here about fatherhood now and just being a parent, but like you're like, God, how do how did our parents not like just talk about us all the time when we were like, as in like, do you know what you were like? I mean, I know a lot of people are like that, but you know, like, you're like, God, you don't really appreciate what your parents did for you until until to really you're like, oh God, I have to look after one myself mm. now, and like, this is mad. But we we sort of hate <laughs> that, mad what you have to or do. or people. You know, especially in our adolescence, we sort of hate that. We hate hearing like, oh, when you were a baby, you yeah. used to do it. And there's always something so kind of embarrassing about being seen and being known in a way that you weren't conscious of or that you don't have a memory of. And that is something that is, you know, so defining about the parent-child relationship that they have seen you learn and they have seen you become a person in in a, yeah. in a way that there is no way for us to know ourselves in that kind of more primal early stage of, of 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 development we only know ourselves when we have been developed by them and by society and and by everything else and so i think you know the walking falling thing like i'm i'm not a parent myself but it, it always makes me think of that that feeling of you know when you're when you're watching a child learn to walk and and they walk and they fall but eventually they don't fall and they keep walking but when you're walking that's what you're doing you're walking and falling and and so it just makes me think of this 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 real connection between who we are as as children and as babies and as 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 learners of how to exist and that we are never really we're never really grown. We're ne- we, we, we never really leave that stage. We're always still a little teeny bit falling when we walk and, you know, kind of stumbling. And, and, and I really like that in, in, in this song, because while, while there is a, still, you know, as, as I mentioned that, you know, the potential, the potentiality of, of it being a machine or something that wants to replicate us or something that is studying us in this very kind of, um, detached way i think that here nearly more than anywhere else there is a there's a reverence for 
like how the human body works and the human spirit works and you know the idea of marveling at a child in the same way that this machine is marveling at humans and she said in an interview everything when you break it down is bizarre and unlikely and when I read that or when I heard her say that in that interview I immediately thought of this song you know how she breaks things down something as simple as walking into it being you know, this miracle, this, this, you know, this bizarre thing that we've learned to do to, to walk upright on, 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 on two legs and to, you know, just kind of walk around our days, like not like, like taking it for granted as something that we do on, until you have a child or you see a child, or, you know, if, if you have your own child and you see them learning to do these things for the first times, so they become miracles again and they, and they feel like miracles again. I think that's a really, yeah, it's it's a short song, but it's mm. like there's kind of so much in it. Like and like all all the songs on this are like that. Like there's just so much to kind of think about. And uh, like the themes that I am taking from this are like might be completely different from the themes that somebody else might take from this. Somebody else might listen to to walking and falling and not necessarily hear it as something hopeful or jubilant about the human race and and my hear it as, as being something a bit more anxiety inducing but I mean it's you know I like I know someone who who heard that song while they were tripping and it at first was a, a very comforting thing for them while they were kind of you know hallucinating and losing themselves but then it became something much more frightening and scary and this is not an album I would recommend listening to while tripping certainly not if you're a first timer um, but it's because I think it can be absolutely it can probably be absolutely terrifying I've never done it myself but but like there's just kind of so much of that stuff to unpick and and you can come back to it at different stages in your life or different stages in the world and and hear new things in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. Great. And what about like then the rest of the album towards the end? What are you thinking? Yeah. So I think like the, I mean, the themes in this album are, I think, you know, the relationship between people and technology and machinery, but it's also about loneliness. It's about trust. It's about institutions and, I think something that we didn't mention about Oh Superman was that it had, it had kind of two, it, it was a hit kind of twice. The first time it was a hit, it was a hit because John Peel heard it and got in touch with Laurie Anderson was like, I need you to send me like a lot of copies of your records. And then it was sold a lot in, in the UK. He played it a lot on his, on his show and it was, I think it was voted by, oh, there was some magazine, it was voted their their least favorite hit single of like <laughs> 1982, because it is, you know, obviously like, and, and, and Peel would play it in full on his radio show, which is, which is, you know, we just, we don't have DJs who are allowed to do stuff like that anymore. But anyway, later in, in 2001, she was playing a gig. I, I believe it was the night of, 9-11 and in and around I think yeah it, I mean it, it was it was either the night of or it was the night after and she was in New York and she there's there's a line in in Oh Superman this is the hand the hand that takes here comes the planes they're American planes made in America 
and then it moves back to smoking or non-smoking. Ah, ah, ah. And she she played this uh, town hall in New York City. Sorry, one week after 9-11. She says, as, and as I sang, here come the planes, they're American planes. I suddenly realized I was singing about the present. And so this song became, you know, it didn't have a major return in, into the public consciousness in terms of thinking about 9-11. But for the people who were at that gig and for fans of hers, those those lines really kind of resonated. The uh, here, here come the planes, they're American. Like here come the planes, you know, being the planes that hit the two towers, but then the American planes that are eventually sent out to to the Middle East for for the war on terror. Like you can really read and and, uh, unpick this song as a moment of, you know, almost clairvoyance when it comes to kind of American, the the American military. And it's it's so unclear, like even now, how how you can kind of reasonably read the meaning of those lines without taking into account our current context, for example, with um, like you, you can hear, here come the planes, they're American planes in terms of, you know, aid packages being sent to Israel right now, obviously during the war on terror, like they're the most kind of overtly political lines, I think on the, on the record. And it's incredible to me how poignant they still feel. Like when I was, when I was listening to it this morning in my headphones, here come the planes, they're American planes. I was just thinking about that aid package to Israel and and just the ubiquity of American planes in almost every war that's been fought in the world before and since this song was written, you know. Mm. And she said uh, she, she there, there was an interview after she performed it in 2001 People said, you know, how do you predict the future as if that war was not the exact same war and had never stopped? It's just chopped up and advertised in different ways. And yeah, so I mean, back to your question of like, you know, the the themes of the album, I think that this is an album that will always feel resonant um, and, not, and not just for Oh Superman, although I do feel that that song will always feel resonant and becomes more and more resonant as as time goes by, not just in terms of like the military industrial complex of of the United States, but also because of the, you know, it it kind of grows and stretches to accommodate whatever techno anxieties we're actually experiencing in the time that we're living in. And like the time we're living in now seems to be filled with the predicted concerns of this album, our relationship with machines, with controlling those machines, with the collaboration between those machines and humans in not only in warfare, but in literature and in art. She has, you know, thinking about the advent of AI and thinking about chat GPT and, and the so-called collaboration between humans and machines that happens when you create kind of like digital AI art. You can tell that I've, I, I, you can tell my feelings about about that but she but she in her practice is also kind of growing to accommodate this i don't think that she has engaged yet um and i'm not sure if she will in kind of ai technologies or the ones that we kind of understand them as as now but she has experimented with things like virtual reality so like i I, I don't see her shying away from the world of AI, but I also would be very surprised if she engaged with AI 
in ways that are currently familiar to us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would expect yeah. her to be, you know, as anxious and cautious of this technology as she is of other technologies that we can hear on 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 big science. So like, you know, thematically it's all here. It's it's like the human experience is here, but especially the kind of the 20th and 21st century human experience. You know, she's born in the 1950s. She's born at a time when when fear of 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 nuclear nuclear bombs is is rife. She's growing up in the 1960s during the Vietnam War. Like machinery and technology and and the potential for technology to win out is something that is so part of her of of her experience of growing up in America. And there's also the experience of growing up in America during a time of, you know, increased commercialization and consumerism and kind of neoliberal ideas about about individuality and every man for himself all in favor say I like it is a political album it is a human album it is a technological album it is a marvel to listen to like this album was was released in the early 1980s uses vocoders uses synthesizers uses a, a lot of music technology and doesn't at all sound dated it sounds new and clean and crisp and her voice on the album is so you know it's just it's so close and it's and it speaks directly to you do you know it's really affecting it's really it's really kind of ponderous and you could just you could just spend hours talking about it and thinking about it and i'll stop there lest i go on too much about how amazing it is but i mean i think it's i'm so i think this is the album i'm the most excited to hear in the room i'm the most excited to hear it on the on the system just to hear how it sounds with that crackle you know and and we're in that room with all that incredible technology and it's analog and 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 it's digital and you know it, it's it just feels like the perfect space to kind of yeah, think about these things this is gonna sound wonderful there, it's gonna sound yeah, amazing absolutely. it's gonna sound so good there's also bagpipes on this album that we didn't mention but maybe we'll keep those as a surprise on the night <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you've just ruined it now. <laughs> and does the does the copy that you have have "Walk the Dog" on it as the last track? Because that is a that's actually I think a bonus track on the album. So I'm not sure if all of the LPs oh, will have um, "Walk the Dog." I don't have it right. It's actually inside. I think so. we'll find out on the night. Will I go have a look? Yeah, but yeah. yeah, "Walk the Dog" is 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 a really sweet song. "Let X Equal X" is a song that I haven't spoken about, but I I, I think that's a really beautiful and poignant but also a little bit scary song it's all just so good like i i i don't know if the things that i've spoken about here have were things that you experienced while listening to it like you might have had a completely different set of discourses and ideas kind of come up for you lyrically or musically i think it's just it it feels like uh, it just feels so contemporary still as well mm-hmm. in terms of production and, and music and i think that's really interesting and then i can hear yeah, it in, 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 like said, in rachel like, lavelle's kind of little spoken word moments and some of her tracks i can really hear a laurie anderson kind of inflection 
you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is that kind of like avant-garde. Is that the right term for it? I think so, More yeah. Like, I think we use that term for so many things, but I think it is genuinely avant-garde, yeah. Yeah, it talks about, you know, it's a section of 80s America at the time. It's got like this... It's got that spoken word stuff in it that it leads you down different paths and it's very, you know, it's not a pop album, but it's lots of pop sounds on it mm, as well. Mm. And Oh Superman in particular is like, I mean, it is a fantastic song and it is, like I said to you, the the thing I knew about this album the most. So I was really excited to kind of go and listen to more of it mm. and, uh, and kind of understand where it's coming from. And I do think the art background really helps you understand that as well mm. so knowing that it comes from that multimedia art piece United States 1 to 4 does really yeah help. because it's not um like I think usually when we talk about albums we can try to root them in a kind of a a, a popular music history you know like uh, L- L- Laurie is someone who was hanging around in New York like with the talking head she was married to Lou Reed like she's she she's someone who was friends with a lot of musicians but there's absolutely no way that you would know like it's so hard to pinpoint musical influences that she had on this album and I think that's because she came to it from a completely different background she didn't come to this from um, having a background yeah. in popular music or having a background like she she had a background in in playing the violin. So she, she she understood tonality and she had an understanding of of that instrument. But when it came to her practice, when it came to her actually making this album, she's very much approaching it from from a performance art aspect. And I think that's why it's so hard to pinpoint it like it's its place within popular music history in terms of the things that have influenced it. Do you know what I mean? Like the synthesizers and yeah. and the the technology that she's using, she seems to be using because that was available to her in her in her art practice as opposed to being available to her in a musical practice, yeah, do you know? Yeah. And I think that really does shine through when you listen to it. Mm. And uh yeah, super, super interesting. If you want to come along to the Lorianson big science listening party and there's about half of the tickets left now at the moment i think there's about 20 or so it's a small enough um, event tickets are limited to 40 so um they went on sale yesterday uh, which is tuesday or wednesday as we're speaking today um so by the time you hear this two days ago so get on it laurie anderson big science it's the Nile Nine event bright page or there's a uh, tickets are available on the site from a tenner each do have a look and consider buying them because they do sell out as they're so small. Uh, it's such a small, lovely room. Uh, as we said, Wednesdays, the last Wednesday of every month. So we haven't decided what we're even doing next. So I'm excited now to to do this one and, and see uh, what comes down the line. Uh, mm. Certainly. Do you know what I was surprised by? The book, the 1001 albums to listen to before you die. This wasn't in it. You're currently propped up on it because I don't have a, my my computer monitor doesn't have a stand and you're currently propped up on David Burns, How Music Works and my copy of 1001 Albums Here Before You Die. Yeah, it's not in it. And this, and this (laughs) is what I mean. Maybe they move it around. Maybe they move it around. I don't know. Yeah, but it's like, come on. It's certainly not the copy I have, so. Like, and also I I just want to give a shout out to, um, to a book I read last year as part of my uh, research for a conference I was doing called, um, 
Pink Noises, Women on Electronic Music and Sound by Tara Rogers, who is electronic musician and academic in electronic music, feminist academic in in electronic music. And there's there's obviously bits written about Laurie and her uh, how influential she was on electronic music, but it is a series of interviews and conversations with female electronic musicians that tries to address the lack of women in the history of music technology. It's really accessible. I think like the maybe the first chapter or so is like quite academic, but even so the language is very accessible, but the interviews in it are really, really fascinating. So I highly recommend that book for anybody who's interested in kind of that you know, alternative feminist history of electronic music. It's fantastic. Great. Lovely. Okay, brilliant. Right, that's it from us uh, this week in terms of big science and the deep dive. Uh, yeah, join us on the February 28th for the listening party in the Big Romance in Dublin, if you're around. Patreon.com forward slash 909 members get a two for one deal on those tickets as well. So another oh. added bonus for them. A limited, obviously, because there's only a limited amount of tickets. Yes. But uh, that's part of the fun. But yeah, I, I, do you know what? I'm going to play out because I won't be able to play it because what I love about the Big Romance is it's it's vinyl only, which is great. But it, sometimes it means like the albums we are playing, I don't have everything I'd like to have to play around it because we always play tunes before and tunes afterwards mm-hmm. and if I had this on vinyl if this exists on vinyl I would be playing this this is kind of the Italo disco-y edit of Oh Superman I've never heard uh, this by so Marcello looking forward to Giordiani it. so we'll we'll leave you with this alright that's it from us bye hi I'm not home right now but if you want to leave a message, just start talking with the sound
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.